Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify and SoundCloud. In this month's UK Roundtable, we discuss the factors that are putting a squeeze on UK business and how companies are coping, as well as how shareholders are leading the change in company behaviour, with Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Michael Hartig, Head of Specialist Teams Business Banking, Ian Aylward, Head of Manager Selection and Responsible Investing, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to today's Word on the Street podcast. It's been another wild and disorientated week in markets, so we will try and punch Will for the answers on what's going on. We have Michael Hargit back from the Business Bank to give us the latest, or some of the latest, of the corporate front line in the UK. We also have Ian Awood covering the vital subject of shareholder engagement. How do we, as owners of companies, get them to change when necessary? We will aim to be done in 15 minutes to let you get back to enjoying the sunshine or hiding inside, depending on your preference. So, Will, we'll start off with you. It's continued to be very rough out there in the markets, I guess reflecting a very challenging short-term macroeconomic backdrop. That's right, Sarah. And I think, hello, everybody, it's the same kind of themes that's been swelling around really the last few, uh, that have been swelling around for the last few weeks. So inflation continues to come in, more or less, not everywhere universally, but it continues to come in pretty hot. Um, but the world economy is showing signs of slowing. And investors are starting as a result to wonder more explicitly about the economic price we'll have to pay for bringing inflation to heel again. Um, the more you see positive surprises on inflation, not just spot inflation, as in you know what's happening right now, but also one of the sort of influences of this week has been um, US measured or one measure of uh, US consumer medium to long term inflation expectations, which started to slip the knot a little bit. And that the result of that is that central bankers are going to feel their need to go harder at interest rates in the short term, uh, and that thereby risks greater short term um, economic damage. So you've got this kind of feedback mechanism going on right now. So yeah, the theory is the same from what we talked about last week, which is a tough summer ahead um, with the unpredictable path of inflation and inflation expectations. Absolutely key. Thanks, Phil. So you mentioned the US, but what about the UK specifically? Have we got up to date data read here? Yeah, I mean, much of the we have got a few data points in. I mean, much of the high frequency data uh, still looks okay as it goes. Um, so you look at the number of flight departures from Gatwick. That's up to sort of you know more or less pre-pandemic levels. Res, uh, you know, restaurant bookings, public transport, uh, transport trips, or you know all that kind of stuff. Now, alongside that, there are some welcome signs within the latest batch of inflation data that some of the sort of hottest contributors um, of the past are starting to cool a little bit. So tradable goods being uh, a good example. However, on the flip side you know we've had the purchasing manager indices data out this morning so you are seeing demand slow as you're seeing around the world and and also within the inflation data you know there's, there's something for the optimists and the pessimists which is really that there are some hints in the data of persistence inflation does seem to be creeping into our consciousness a little bit uh, here like it is everywhere else but like everywhere else i think the next few months are central in this fight against inflation 
all of these economies will find that interest rates start to bite in demand um, at different levels. Of course, they're all got different potential growth rates, therefore different levels at which interest rates will start to bite, among many other sort of different factors. And the UK, the feeling is that the level at which interest rates will begin to bite may be a little bit lower uh, than it was previous to this crisis. Lots about this economy has changed in that period, uh, as we've discussed many, many, many times before. So it remains a very, very complicated outlook. It's not sort of doom and depression just yet, but, but certainly, you know, that the economy is slowing and there are nerves about what comes next. So, Will, just a quickie on the basics. Obviously, I cover um, in the business, we cover the business sector and the SME sector. And I guess because to add to your, your comments about it's, it's complex, I suppose I was thinking about this in advance of this call. In normal circumstances, the, the business community would be talking about exchange rates, and that would be the big focus given the, um, the exchange rates, the, the sterling dollar and the sterling euro. But it's really strange, actually, almost, almost it doesn't get a mention. The focus in the business community are things like supply chain. And as, con- as consumers, we've all seen it. If you place an order for something, it's taking incredibly long, in effect, for those businesses to sort that. It's the increase in interest rates. So we're seeing some of our... Um, and more professional buy-to-let investors are really just taking a step out of the market at the moment just to contemplate how they operate in a, in a, in a raising rate environment. The issue that is out there, and we see it all the time, is labor availability. Um, so how do those businesses actually retain labor and recruit labor with the right skills, given so many of the, the people actually have left the workforce? And then the, the final point to your point on inflation is, actually, how do I pass on costs, et cetera? So if I'm, you know, if I'm in the supply chain, I cannot pass on costs. And, and by and large, and if we are seeing the business community actually able to pass on those costs in their supply chain. Now, the thing we would expect, typically, on the basis now, is actually almost a spike in the level of insolvencies, and and actually businesses in distress and we're not seeing that yet and we're not seeing that yet because businesses are being very careful about managing the liquidity and they've been there before and they know that liquidity is king and so they are actually managing the liquidity to make sure that we've not seen uh, almost what you would expect at this time in the cycle a potential spike in insolvencies and um and corporate distress really so, so as you say it's a mixed picture it's a nice bit of reassuring news on the credit quality picture, though. I think mm. that's, yeah, we're seeing that in markets a little bit so far as well. It's really interesting. Well, thanks, Will and Michael. Maybe to kind of, before we move on to Ian, who's going to talk to us about shareholder engagement, Michael, I know you work with a lot of companies that don't have external shareholders. What do you think influences these companies to change? Yeah, so it's a really interesting point, actually, because obviously the, I guess the SME community, in essence, would largely be owned actually by the, the people that run the business, et cetera. So in effect, in, effect, in effect, they make the decisions. But the things we are seeing influence them is the supply chain. So if you talk about sustainability and we talk about ESG, um, and we talk about people in the supply chain for, say, the supermarkets, and if we're seeing the big supermarkets actually working with the supply chain to fulfill their ESG obligation to their shareholders, and that's starting to, to filter down. And we're seeing um, those businesses actually now respond in a way that's, that's driven by the majors and actually actually by their shareholders. And certainly, in effect, that is something that we're seeing quite a bit across all sorts of sectors that has been driven by the tier one suppliers or the tier one, the tier one buyers, and they're driving some change actually all the way down the supply chain. Michael, that's fascinating to hear how connected everything is. So now I want to bring Ian in to talk about those companies where we are shareholders and we have power as owners to change and change what companies do and how they behave. I guess we're perhaps more 
powerful than we realise. But Ian, do you want to give us a little bit more information on this? Absolutely. Hi, Sarah. Hi, all. Obviously, the managements of the firms obviously make decisions day in, day out, you know, that the, the board members about how to run the business on behalf of shareholders. But there are some decisions that are just such a scale and significance that the shareholders actually get to vote on them directly. Or, or indeed, there may be regulations that are such they have to give shareholders the right to vote. Um, board remuneration is probably a good example of, of the latter, the so-called say on pay. Um, just, just one thing to, to be clear on those here before we move on. It is only the holders of equity because they are the owners of the business that get to vote. You know, bondholders are lending to the firms and so they're not the owners of the business. Typically, these voting opportunities occur once a year at the AGM, the annual general meeting. But EGMs, extraordinary general meetings, also occur. Uh, and a good example of, of that, actually, is if a firm is being bought uh, or indeed is looking to buy another firm. OK, well, thanks, Ian. But once a year doesn't sound especially frequent. Is that not a bit of a blunt tool, too? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, quite, quite right. You know, it is somewhat blunt. And in actual fact, typically we see voting going hand in hand with engagement. So maybe just a word on engagement. Think of that as the ongoing dialogue that shareholders have with management over time. You know, the discussing discussing issues out of the public eye. It's where where we and other owners make our expectations clear and work with management to achieve those expectations. Anyway, uh, this topic is voting today, so we'll save engagement for another time. Uh, but actually, in, in some senses, having said this, there, there should be no surprises at annual voting time. In, in other words, management will have taken on board all the shareholder feedback over the course of the year or, or longer. And so the, you know, there should be no need to vote against any of the resolutions. But, of course, it is not always the case, uh, not least because some owners may have different views to other owners. And very importantly, it's not just management that can propose the topics on which to vote. These are called resolutions, by the way. Um, sh shareholders can also propose topics uh, too. That's interesting. Can you explain a bit more? How do we go about doing this at Barclays? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So very roughly, we hold about 2,000 companies across our entire range of funds. And equally very roughly, the average number of votes per AGM is perhaps 10. So you know, the first thing you can see is there's a huge volume uh, to tackle here. And so we employ the services of a leading stewardship provider, Hermes EOS. Now, this firm provides voting recommendations to clients with well over a trillion dollars of assets under control or management. So you know, I think that that exemplifies just they, that they certainly are recognised leaders in this space. Now, we take their recommendation and then apply a triage process to narrow down the votes to those that are most noteworthy. Next, the Barclays analyst responsible for the fund that holds each of those noteworthy firms then gathers the rationale behind that EOS recommendation. They take additional research from the likes of MSCI ESG manager and then consider all of that alongside the views of the underlying external managers who, after all, chose to hold the company's equity in the first place. In putting together all that mosaic, then you know we decide in which direction to vote. Just just one other thing, perhaps, is is to is to is to highlight that you know more often than not, most of the votes are very much run of the mill. On average, as I said, there are about only about ten resolutions at each AGM. 
Typically, they address more mundane topics like accepting the report and accounts, board members, executive pay. But occasionally, just occasionally, they can be much more contentious and headline grabbing. Uh, in terms of trends, I think Say on Climate, you know, sits alongside Say on Pay, has clearly come more to the fore in recent, in recent years. Uh, that, of course, is where management are giving shareholders a vote on their plans to become carbon neutral or, in other words, to achieve net zero. Uh, I know that Barclays had just such a vote um, at its AGM earlier this year. But I think if I say any more on this topic, um, on carbon neutrality and net zero, we'll be doubling the length of the podcast. So let's let's leave that for another time, Sarah. <laughs> well, thank you, Liam, for that. Um, but I would like to kind of hear, maybe you've got some examples to bring it to life for us. Tell, tell us about one of the more interesting votes. Yeah, why don't I, why don't I share, a, share a couple? Um, firstly, uh, how's about Fraser Group? So this, of course, was uh, probably better known, still well known as Sports Direct. Now, it had its AGM a few months ago, and it was, you know, it was controversial. Uh, to keep things short, the firm announced that Mike Ashley, you know, the renowned, infamous Mike Ashley's future son-in-law would become the CEO. It also awarded a very generous but but stretching earning scheme for company executives. Now, the scheme was disliked by many voting advisors, including Hermes EOS. Um, but the third party fund managers you know, that we employ on our clients behalf, who ultimately own the shares and chose to buy the shares, took a different view. You know, Fraser's group had actually engaged with its larger shareholders over the remuneration plan before it was announced. When we reached out to those fund managers, as I said, that's part of our process. We, and when we spoke to them, they were broadly supportive, actually, of the scheme because they had been given a chance to influence its design. It was interesting to find that larger fund management firms, you know, those with dedicated, separate, large voting and engaging teams, were somewhat less enthusiastic about supporting the company. I think there were perhaps you know, historic perceptions lingering there about how it had treated its staff, the firm had treated its staff in the past. But certainly the fund managers themselves you know, do regard you know, the founder as one of, if not the leading UK retailer of his time. You know, he had, after all, overseen the growth of a leading UK company and strong share price performance uh, over many years. So on balance, while the fund groups, you know, were not universally in their in their views, we decided to to vote for the proposal, given you know the fund managers who who chose to own the stock on our client's behalf had been involved in its in its design. Yeah, it's interesting. So that's the ongoing engagement that you were talking about earlier, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And if there's perhaps uh, one more, if we have time. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Go ahead, group. So you know, essentially, this is the the UK bus company. Earlier this year, EOS recommended voting against uh, the management's resolution on ratifying the firm's auditors. Again, we spoke with the third party managers that we employ uh, on our client's behalf who have chosen to buy those shares and own the stock, and they supported management. However, I think it's interesting they only did so because Deloitte, the existing auditor, had changed their audit team on the company. And additionally, again, through the dialogue and the engagement that the fund managers had uh, with the chair of Go Ahead Group, uh, they learned that they were actually unable to get a replacement auditor in the short term. 
um, but certainly looking to change the order to in the future. So, you know, as you can imagine, we did feel the need to be pragmatic on this one. And so we supported management this time around. But clearly, we do expect the situation uh, to be addressed, you know, with the, with the, with the passing of time. Well, that's interesting, Ian. And thanks for using those examples to bring it to life for us. And thank you, Michael and Ian, for your time today and Will as well. It's really good to think about the influence that we do have. And thank you to everyone for listening this week. I look forward to joining you again next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.